So I want you to imagine with me for a moment, you get a call at two o'clock in the morning and it's a friend that says, can you help me? Like I'm in so deep. I don't know where to go. I don't know where to turn. I'm not sure I can go on. And if we're, if you're in that situation, I want you to imagine with me that you're in that situation. What do you say? How do you help them? When they said, when a friend says, my husband just left and I don't know what God is up to, what, what are you going to say? Maybe it's, maybe it's a grown child that calls and says, these things are piling up. How can I go on? Why has God abandoned me? What are you going to say? It's not hard in these days to imagine people at the edge People at the, the, the limit of how far they can go saying, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? Maybe you're there today. Maybe you're in that spot saying, God, what are you up to? God, I hurt. God, I'm weary. God, I need comfort. God, what are you doing? And so whether we're, you're helping somebody else or whether this is something for you, where do we go? What do we say? How do we, how do we, Speak what God would speak. If you're like me, you don't want to just say stuff. There's a part that wants to be helpful, but I want to tell the truth. So what am I going to say? Today I want to show you a passage in Isaiah chapter 40 that is really that kind of situation with people on the edge. What does God have to say to people on the edge. So whether this is where you're at or something that you need to minister to others, we need to hear what does God say to people at their limit? Go ahead and grab your Bible and turn with me to, to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. The way the book of Isaiah is laid out is there are 39 chapters of judgment and then there are 26 chapters of comfort. The, a, a good way of like describing the book of Isaiah is judgment and comfort. God speaking judgment to his people. I'm going to judge you. I promise that I am going to bring justice on my people who have turned away from me, who have rejected me. And then comfort. God saying, I haven't forgotten you. I've not put you off forever. I'm not ignoring you. And so Isaiah chapter 40 is like this transitional chapter where God is speaking to people that he's already been promising judgment and he's already actually he's speaking in the future to people that he has judged and speaking words of comfort. And so these are people at their limit that are like, God, we deserve these things, but we cannot bear your judgment. And so this is what God says in, chapter, in Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11, but I want to start here in verse 1, 1 and 2. Isaiah chapter 40 says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Let's pray. God, whether we're at our limit or somebody we're talking to is at their limit, can you use your words to give us hope? 
God, we know that you have given us good work and ministry to do. So use your word to build us up and enable us to speak light and hope and comfort to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So Isaiah chapter 40, this transitional chapter, starts with these words of comfort, comfort my people, says your God. I have not forgotten you. Yes, I have judged you. Yes, I have promised judgment on you. But I am calling out with words of comfort for my people. And so what I want to show you here today is I want to show you in these verses four ways that God comforts his people. Four ways that God comforts his people. These are our words of comfort that God has given to Isaiah and God has given to us so that we can comfort each other and be comforted ourselves. I want to show you four ways that God comforts his people. First, verse 2 tells us, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The, the, the first way that God comforts his people is that God finishes our battle. This is God speaking to people that have been living under judgment. But notice what he says. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been paid for. Verse 1 had identified that these are my people. You have not been abandoned. God has not forgotten you. God is still identifying himself with his people. Their experience tells them that God is far off and God does not care about us. We must be God's enemies. He must love somebody else. But here in verses 1 and 2, he says, Speak to comfort my people, says your God. God speaking to his people, saying, I have not forgotten you. You're still my people. I'm still your God. Then he begins saying, what what is he going to say? What does he want Isaiah to speak to the people? And he lays out this kind of dichotomy, that this this like separation between the, the reality that they're living with and the reality they need to live with. Because he says that proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. There's this like separation between like warfare Like your hard service has been completed and yet your sin has been paid for. The the judgment that you're supposed to face has been faced and yet it's been paid for. You have received from the Lord's hand double for all your sins, but I'm actually speaking comfort to you. There's this, like, how can we hold these two things together that my sin is paid for and yet it's been experienced that that I that I my sin has been that been paid for by somebody else but experienced by me like how can God reckon my sin as cleared while at the same time paid for You see, we don't actually, we can't understand. The people of Israel could not understand how this could be until we get to Jesus. That's why Jesus is so critical to understanding every passage of Scripture, is that that we cannot understand what God was up to and what he meant when he said, your hard service has been completed and your sin has been paid for. That, That your sin has been paid for because it's been paid by another 
You see, the greatest problem that the people of God throughout history and the, the, the greatest issue that you and I face is that our sin before God has to be dealt with. And so if God is going to speak comfort to his people, then his people have to hear that their sin has been paid for. The thing that separates us from God has been paid for, not just helpful tips on how to live better, but the thing that keeps us from our relationship with God has been paid for. And so we actually can truly have comfort because it's been paid for by another. J.D. Greer tells a story. It's a made-up story about a king who has things going missing in his kingdom. And the uh, he has some of his treasures going missing. And he's a, a, a just king, but he's also a kind king. And so he puts out a declaration to the people that that he wants the, the theft stopped and the things that have been stolen returned, but they don't, it doesn't stop. And so they, they launch an investigation and discover that the person that's been stealing was the king's own mother. And so J.D. Greer tells the story that the, that the king is known for being kind, but also just. And so the people are like, what is going to be done? Because the king can't violate his justice, and yet it's his mother. And what's, what's he going to do? So the people are watching with bated breath, what is the king going to do about justice for his mother? And so the day comes for her judgment, and the, the penalty for her crimes has been clear that she will be whipped. And because of her age, it's obvious that, that, that the whipping would kill her. And so everybody wonders what's going to happen. And so the king calls for the soldier to do the whipping. And yet in the moment before that, takes his own robe off and wraps his mother in a hug and tells the soldier to go ahead and do the whipping. And so the soldier says, wait, but you're standing in the way. And the king says, no, my words are clear whip her. And so because the king has put himself in between the whip and the woman, that even though the lashes intended for her go out, the king takes them on himself. And I find that that story explains these verses really, really well, that the battle that we are facing actually gets paid for by Jesus, that we can't understand how God can speak comfort to us and say your hard service has been completed and your sin has been paid for until we look at Jesus who goes and stands in our place taking the punishment that we deserve so that we can have the reward that Jesus rightfully has earned and deserves. And so this, this passage that starts out, what do we say to somebody who's standing on the edge needing comfort, is that Isaiah chapter 40 verses 1 and 2 tell us that God finishes the battle that we cannot fight on our own. Our greatest problem has actually been taken care of by God himself. And so, we, and so if we're going to truly have comfort, we must actually find God is taking care of the sin that separates me from him, that separates me from his love. And so I, my greatest problem is taken care of. God has finished my battle. I can actually have comfort. 
And so the people that we fade, the people that we counsel, the people that we encourage, the people that we walk alongside need to hear that God is the one who finishes the battle that we cannot win on our own. God is the one who takes care of the greatest problem that we face. The second way that God comforts his people is we see in verses three to five that God meets us in our wilderness. God meets us in our wilderness. Verse three says, a voice of one colleague in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The second way that God comforts his people is, is that God meets us in our wilderness. Verse thir- verses three to five, God lay out this, this message of comfort, says that a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. This is the, this is a passage that is like the, th- the theme verse for John the Baptist, who goes in into the wilderness using this and saying, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's what John used with this call to, hey, we need to prepare the way for the Lord. Prepare to meet him in righteousness. A righteousness that 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 is a call to all of Israel to come and to serve and to love God. And so John used this and Isaiah used this to point us to the fact that when God comes, every valley will be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. All of the things that we need are going to be made right. The roads will be smoothed out. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. All people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This, these verses call to us and say that it's in the wilderness. It's in those places that we find ourselves that God comes to his people. God doesn't, God comes to meet his people in the wilderness of Israel where he's baptized by the river. This passage calls to us to begin to say, how can God's people have comfort? God meets us in our wilderness. God is the one who makes straight in the desert a highway for our God. God himself is the one who raises up the valleys and makes the mountains and hills low, makes the rough ground level and rugged places a plain. God is the one who does that. And so the call in this is to prepare to meet God right where we're at. Not saying, oh, I have to get to another place to meet with God. Oh, I'm not going to have comfort until I go to another place. This passage, verses three to five, call us. How can we find comfort? We find comfort because God meets us in our wilderness. This reminds me of the book of Job. The book of Job, that's a story of a man who loses everything, who loses his children, who loses his wealth, he loses his health, he loses everything. And it's the story of these conversations between Job and God and Job and his friends with all of these messages about this must be what's happening. And the the really infuriating thing about the book of Job is in some senses it doesn't resolve. The resolution in the book of Job is that Job comes to understand something about who God is. 
He doesn't get an explanation. We get an explanation that Satan comes and accuses Job and is kind of taunting God and that that's the backstory. Job doesn't hear that. What Job ends up doing is he gets a a clearer vision of this is what God is like. And I have a relationship with this God. And so the question of Job, because he doesn't know the full story, is can a person love God in the wilderness? And the answer to that is yes. The, the answer in Job's life is that yes, a person can, decide, can, can love God in the wilderness. And the thing that makes the difference in Job's life is that he sees who and what God is like. And so this passage here in Isaiah is this call to say, God, you, I can find comfort because you meet me in the wilderness. God, I can find comfort because you don't just leave me out there and ignore me and say, get over it and do better and walk farther. You instead come to us in our wilderness. And so what we end up finding is that it's in these circumstances that is the occasion for us to meet God. These these circumstances are the occasion for us to say, God, what are you really like? Because that's what I want to know. I'm not going to settle for any other version of who you really are. I want to know who you really are, including in this wilderness. And so when we meet to encourage somebody else who's facing their own wilderness, we we can know with confidence from Scripture that God meets His people in the wilderness, doesn't require that they go to a palace before they can meet Him. God doesn't require that everything must be worked out in perfect detail because God won't come to us in our pain. Isaiah says that God actually meets us in our wilderness. And so we can find true comfort only in God. And sometimes because that's all we have. The, the third way that God comforts his people is verses six through eight says that God outlasts our troubles. Verses six through eight says that God outlasts our troubles. Verse six says, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Verses 6 through 8 say, what message does God have for his people to give comfort? This third message is that God's, what shall I cry out? Is that people are like grass. Their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. But the word of our God endures forever. That the people and the situations that we find ourselves in will one day end. The, the, the people around us are like grass that live for a season and then they die. The, the situations around us, the faithfulness of people lasts only as long as the flowers of the field. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And so the call in this is that God outlasts human flesh, human wisdom, human ways of doing things. And so how can we find comfort when we find ourselves in trouble? How can we encourage others to find comfort? Is that God is not bound by the time that we are bound by. The troubles and situations that we face, they will go away. 
But God and his word, God and his promises, God and his purposes is going to last forever. At times, it can feel like our time is going by so incredibly slowly. The pain that we find ourselves in, whether it's weeks, months, years, decades, can feel so incredibly slow. But the call to us is to begin to say, what is happening in the true timeline of time? What's really happening? How long do the longest people live? They live as nothing compared to God. How long do people's plans and people's persecutions last? They don't last except for a night compared with God and his promises and his word. The call to us is to say that God outlasts whatever troubles you are facing right now. The, The challenge to us is to begin to have the eyes to see that God outlasts any of the challenges that face us right now no matter how great those challenges are. To begin, God, give me a bigger vision of you so that my troubles do not compare to you. When we try to encourage somebody that's hurting, the part of the need that we had is not to fix it or to give people little tiny steps that will help them find success, but instead give people a big and broad and glorious vision of this is what the God of the universe is like. These are his purposes throughout history because that can put our troubles in perspective. That can put the things that we are facing as great and as difficult and as hurtful as they are. Those are the, that's the kind of truth that can get us through. And so the challenge to us is to begin to have a God-sized vision of God and begin to see this tr- our troubles in proper perspective. And the fourth way that God comforts his people we see in verses 9 through 11, is that God offers us himself. You see, verse 9 says, You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high hill. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The fourth way God comforts his people is that God offers us himself. The messenger is called to go up to the highest place. Go to Jerusalem. Go to Zion. Go and announce, here's your God. Your God is coming to you. How is your God coming to you? He's coming with power and with a mighty arm and with a reward, and he's coming like a shepherd, tending his flock like a shepherd, gathering the lambs in his arms, carrying them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This this passage is calling us to begin to see that God, the mighty one, God, the glorious one, God, the rich one, is also God, the tender one. He's also God, the near one. God, the, the champion, is coming for you. God, The one who owns everything is coming for you. God, the shepherd, carries you like a lamb 
This, this call to the messenger is to shout this out. God is king. God is benefactor. God is shepherd. This, it's this call to begin to see, how do I find comfort? I find comfort that God himself is coming to give, not to demand. You see, that's the way that kings have always been throughout history, is that I am king by right, and so I take from you. It's what we even see in the warnings about the kings from God to Moses and from Moses to the people, is that when you have a king, the king is going to take all of this from you. The king is going to take your food, and he's going to take your children, and he's going to take your horses. What we find here in Isaiah 40, and what we, have, what we find when we look at Jesus is that when God comes at king, he comes to give and to bless. When God comes as king, he comes as a shepherd who carries the weak. He gently leads those that are needy. So how do we find comfort? We find comfort when we realize that God comes as a giver to his people. So how do we define the God of the universe? According to Isaiah 40, is we define the God of the universe as a king and a benefactor and a shepherd and a giver. And so when we look at this passage, we, what we end up finding, where is Israel going to get comfort? Where are you going to get comfort? Where are your friends going to get comfort? Where is your family going to get comfort? Where am I going to get comfort? It's actually when we have a true vision of the character and actions of God. Not an explanation of the, the ways of God in the world, but an actual an explanation of the character of God and his activity for our advantage. And we find this most clearly when we look at Jesus. Because when we look at Jesus, we find the God who finishes our battle when he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, dying the death that you and I should die. What we find is that Christ fulfills this passage when he goes to the wilderness of the world from the throne room of the Father for you and for I. What we find is that Jesus fulfills this passage for you and for I, not just because he outlasts our troubles, but because he goes and dies in our place and is raised to life again. What we find is that Jesus fulfills everything in this passage for us because he gives us himself so that he can say, comfort my people says your God. He, we are his people. He is our God. And so what we find in this passage is this call to go to Jesus, to see this is what God is like. This is the basis for me to have a relationship with God. This is the way that God comforts me most clearly is in Jesus. And so if we're going to encourage a friend it comes as we point them towards this. What does that sound like? You go, how, does, how do I know these promises are for me? How do I know these promises are for me? The Bible tells us that God made the world and he made it good. And he looked at Adam and Eve and he looked at every person after them and said they are very good. And yet Adam and Eve broke the one rule that God gave them. And the point was they did not trust God and would not live with God as authority over them. We might call that God. They would not have God for their king. And so Adam and Eve and every person after them said, God, we, you, we will not follow you. We will live our own way. We will do our own thing. 
The Bible says that God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden. Their relationship with God was broken. Death was introduced into the world and their only future after death was separation from God in hell forever. And that's the destiny of all people. Living with our own choice to be our own kings. But instead of living, our, instead of leaving us that way, God came as Jesus, living the life that we should live, dying the death that we should die, and being raised back to new life as God's great yes on his sacrifice for us so that all who turn away from sin, we call that repentance, and trust in Jesus alone to save them. Not their obedience, not their church attendance, not their baptism, not anything except for trust in Jesus alone are brought into a relationship with the record of Jesus, with the identity of a son or daughter of the king, and with the power of the Holy Spirit to help us live the new life that God has called us to, even in those difficult circumstances that we find ourselves. If you have questions about that, will you please send us a message, leave a note in the comments, send me an email, go to belgiumchurch.com and say, and, and send me an email and say, I want to know for sure that these promises are for me. I want the kind of relationship with God that gives true comfort. And so what changes? What changes when we have this kind of comfort? What changes when a friend calls to us in trouble and says, what do I do? What is God up to? When we have this and we, when we know this kind of truth, then we can give true comfort and true help, not just tips on how to get through some pain, but we can say, this is what God is like. He is reaching out to you. What changes when we are going through pain, then we can say, look, I'm going to bank on the character of God and the relationship I have with him through Jesus Christ. I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to trust in that. And I think that changes everything.